Pursuit fam, my name is Petey Marrero. I am here today with my beautiful, lovely wife, Angela. You see, Bob, Pastor Bob, the word of God says that it is not good for man to be alone. And I learned that 13 years ago. We just celebrated uh, in September our 13th year anniversary. So uh, we're excited about that. We've been together, though, for almost 20 years. And uh, we've been married for 13. We have our nine-year-old boy who's in class right now. And then we just had a baby girl. Oh, my God. Almost four weeks ago. Well, I always say we just had a baby, right? But we, we all know who had the baby, right? But, but uh, we're excited. Uh, the Bible says that children are a blessing from God, right? So we, we, um, we're, we're just, we just feel so blessed that God would give us a beautiful, lovely, beautiful princess. A beautiful girl, and uh, we just pray that we don't mess it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all pray for us, amen? Uh, no, but we're excited about that, and uh, we're excited to be here. I am just Pastor Bob and Karen. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you for entrusting me with this time right now to share the word of God today, and uh, I'm just, I just feel blessed, honored, and privileged to be here at Pursuit Church. Y'all guys should feel privileged and honored and blessed to be here as well. Come on. All right, all right. We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that, okay? We're going to get y'all to be loud when we're done, because I'm loud. I grew up in Puerto Rico, okay? Any Puerto Ricans in the house? Whoa! Oh, man. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm from Puerto Rico, so I, 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 I'm loud, man. I'm loud without a mic, with a mic. I'm just loud. So I, I, I'm just excited. I'm excited. Uh, God has done so many great things in my life and my family, and uh, so I'm excited about you know, what God has done, what he's doing, what he's about to do today. I'm excited. And I, I live life that way. I live life that way. Now, don't get me wrong. There's ups and downs. And we'll kind of touch on that a little bit today. There's ups and downs. But I'm excited because even through those ups and downs, I've seen God's faithfulness come through. I've seen the grace of God. I've seen his hand upon my life and upon my family. So how could I not be excited to share the word, to receive the word, to be in God's presence? Let me tell you something. I pray that your heart be open today. You see, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. So as we're speaking God's word from this podium, this is not just for you to receive a word. This is for the both of us to receive this word from God because it cuts that way and it cuts this way. So my prayer is that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be focused today, and that our eyes would be fixed on the one who matters, which is Jesus, this morning. So I just want to share something very briefly about my childhood. Um, any Ninja Turtle fans? Yeah, yeah, oh, she got excited. Ninja Turtles, all right, all right. How many of y'all, like me, maybe, when I was younger, about my, 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 my son's age, uh, or even younger, I was really into Ninja Turtles. That was like, that, it was awesome back then. It was like, you know, it was incredible. And, um, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle, you know? I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle, so you, you would see me all day long just, like, kicking stuff and, you know, doing martial arts. And Michelangelo, that was, that was my, my guy. That was, that was me, you know? And uh, so I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle, and I even, I even took, I even joined um, Taekwondo, when I was younger, I was like, I was that into it. I wanted to learn martial arts. I wanted to learn to do what they did because it was just, I wanted to be like them. You see, and you know what drove me to be like them or to want to be? The fact that I thought I could be them. Hello? 
So what happened there? My thought, my thought process or my thoughts drove me to behave, to act and speak a certain way. Because I thought I could be them, I wanted to be them, so I acted just like them. Have you, do you, have you ever been through that? You wanted to be maybe a, 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 you know, in, in, in sports. You wanted to be an amazing athlete, whether football, baseball, basketball, lacrosse. Mm. <laughs> bowling. You wanted to be in the bowling league, right, JP? Yeah. You, you bowl, right, JP? Yeah, a little? All right. So, you know, you, you, you wanted to be like someone who was in the area of your interest. If it was a basketball player. How many of y'all wanted to be like Mike? Y'all remember that? Y'all remember? Yeah, we all wanted to be like Mike, right? Because back in the day, that was, that was it. Forget LeBron. Forget Kobe. You know, that, that's nothing. In my personal, humble opinion, there will never, ever, 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 ever be anyone in the NBA like Mike. Let's just, let's just make that clear for me, okay? <laughs> so everybody wanted to be like Mike. So what did they do? They dressed like Mike. They wore the same shoes like Mike. They did the same moves like Mike. They stuck their tongue out just like Mike, right? They did everything like him. Why? Because they wanted to be like him. They thought they could be like him, so they acted, behaved, dressed, looked apart, and spoke just like him. Why? Because your thoughts will drive you. Your thoughts will drive you to act, to behave accordingly. And, and I know that, that uh, the first week of this series, you know, we've been talking, you guys have been talking about mental health, right? And mental health is a big issue. It's a big issue that sadly and unfortunately the church has been too silent about. It's, in fact, in many churches for many years, mental health has been like taboo, like witchcraft. Nobody talks about that. No, 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 just pray, just forget about it, squash it, let's move on. Praise the Lord. And I think that's the worst, the worst attitude to have even as the church when it comes to mental health. Because mental health is a real thing. Mental health is a real thing that for years people have dealt with. And if we could be honest, more even now. So in, 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 in week one, right? Y'all talked about uh, Christians should not struggle with mental health issues. or That's what the church believe, right? That Christians, if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're truly saved, then there's no reason for you to be having mental uh, health issues or struggles in your mind. But how many of y'all can, can agree with me that I, that could not be any further from the truth? You also talked about, you talked about how, you know, some, some people believe that God doesn't even care about your mental health issues. God doesn't even care. Like, it's not important to him. Well, the Bible that I read, the Holy Bible, the Holy Scripture says that we can bring our cares to him because he cares for us. That means he cares about every detail of our life. He cares about your mental health. He cares about your thought process. He cares about what you're going through. I don't know what Bible y'all read, but that's the Bible that I read. And then in week two, you guys talked about anxiety. I don't know about you. You don't have to raise your hand. Just, just ask yourself this question. How many here have ever struggled with anxiety? You don't have to raise your hand, but if, if you want to, you can. I have. I've struggled with anxiety. 
And I'll be honest with you, I still struggle sometimes. You get anxious about things, even though we know the Bible says be anxious for nothing. But it's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to believe it. And it's one thing to live it out. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And although that's what the word of God says, we struggle with anxiety every single day. But here's what's beautiful about this. That even though you struggle with it, the Bible says that Jesus has provided a way out already. He has provided a way out out of every situation that you, you may be struggling with anxiety. And I don't want you to ever think that when you struggle with anxiety, man, I'm not saved. What's going on? Where's Jesus? I, am I saved or not? Did I really mean the prayer that I said on Sunday? Listen, you can be saved and still struggle with anxiety. It's okay. It's okay. If you struggle with anxiety, you've, in, in, in the past, you've given your life to Christ. You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. Jesus still loves you. He still lives inside of you. He's still going to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for your life. But with that anxiety, God provides a way out. And God provided his son, Jesus who died on the cross so that when we go through these issues, when we struggle with our mental health, and when we struggle with anxiety, and we're going to talk a little bit today about depression, when we struggle with these things, we have a way out, and his name is Jesus Christ. We can turn to Jesus. Because the Bible says that when he hung on that cross, he took all infirmities. He took all sickness with him upon that cross. Anxiety. Depression, suicidal thoughts, everything, he took it upon himself. He paid a price so that today we can live free from those things. Can somebody praise God this morning? Amen. So like I just mentioned a few seconds ago, we are going to touch on the topic of, of battling depression today. Now, the entire sermon is not going to be about depression. We don't want you to leave depressed today. But we're going to talk about a few things that may lead you to depression. So that we can be careful and watch out for these things. The Bible talks about that. We'll read it in a little bit. But we're going to talk today about the series Missing Peace, Battling Depression. Now, listen. Let me let me let me kind of let me try to take you back to school. It's been a long time since I've been in school. It's been a long time since middle school, since high school. And and if you're like me, it's been a long time. This might um, you might you might remember some of this today. You might not even remember it at all. But it's okay. Just act like you know what you're talking about. You know, and that's what I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna act like I know what I'm talking about. Amen. No, but listen. Did you know that your brain? Somebody say my brain. You know that your brain is wired to produce change. Your brain, my brain is wired to produce change, and change involves learning. Somebody say learning. And all learning generates change in your brain. So God designed our brain to produce change. And when we make changes, what happens? It also, it, 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 uh, it makes, it generates a change in our brain. What does that mean? That every single day, our brain is developing. Our brain is changing. Our brain is shifting. Our thoughts are shifting. And when you seek to replace a behavior such as a toxic thinking pattern, how many of us have sometimes have a toxic thinking pattern? Right? They're all on that side, Pastor Bob? All right. <laughs> He's like, I didn't, I didn't say it. 
You see, when, when, you, when, you, when you seek to replace that toxic thinking pattern, your actions produce neurochemical and molecular changes in cells known as neurons. There's something that happens in your mind. Scientifically, there's, there's chemicals in your mind that are shifting and taking place. And this complex network manages the flow of information that shapes your behaviors. And in many ways, it shapes your life. These electrical impulses consist of molecules of emotion that are designed to control. Somebody say control. They are designed to control the overall direction of your life. In other words, your thoughts spark emotion-driven action. Your thoughts will spark emotion-driven actions. Your thoughts create inner standards or rules that spark neurochemical dynamic processes which selectively govern your choices and actions. Let's do an altar call right now. Amen. Woo! Just bear with me today. It takes a thought to spark an emotion. You have to think it first, and then it sparks what? Sadness, hatred, anger, resentment, bitterness. Your brain first has to think it, then it sparks an emotion. Or it sparks an emotion or a drive, it drives a decision to take an action or to take no action at all. That, that, that thought sparks, sparks an emotion and based on how you feel, you will either take action or you will not take action at all. And emotions give meaning to thoughts. Your emotions give meaning to thoughts. They are the fuel of your thoughts. Think about it. You have to think it first. It sparks an emotion, whether that's sadness, happiness, joy, whether it's hatred, bitterness, resentment. And the more you dwell on that emotion, the more you allow that emotion to fuel your thoughts, the more you, you, you dwell on that emotion, it's going to continue to fuel the thought that sparked that emotion to begin with. You see, toxic thinking is self-perpetuating. It's continuous, but it means that it, it feeds itself. It's self-perpetuating. The more you think of it, the more it's going to continue on and on and on and never-ending. It causes unhealthy levels of anxiety. And in one way or another, it causes you to either experience hatred, to run away from certain things or certain people, to demean the part of you or others that feels emotion. Sometimes you try to suppress those emotions. And it's that toxic thinking pattern. Well, I shouldn't feel this way. Christians shouldn't feel this way. And that toxic thinking pattern will cause you to suppress your own emotions or the emotions of other people. This produces reactive behaviors designed to avoid, numb, or eliminate painful emotions. And guess what? That doesn't work. It does not work when you try to just sweep it under the rug. When you try to avoid the situation or avoid those emotions you're feeling. When you try to numb yourself to those things, it doesn't work. You and I are wired to struggle with your fears and our vulnerabilities. 
We're wired to struggle with these things. Now, when I say struggle, it doesn't mean that they, can, they are to overcome you. Because how many know that God has given us victory? But sometimes we still have to struggle against those things. But knowing that we've already won the battle, we're able to struggle against these things and know that in the end, we win. You see, we're, we're wired to struggle with our fears and vulnerabilities. It's, it's how you grow in courage. It's how many times you and I are going to grow in courage, which, which you need in order to stretch yourself and myself in order to love ourselves, to love life, and to love others the way God loves them. Because how many of you know that when you go through a painful experience and you're able to overcome that and somebody else goes through something similar or the same thing, now, now you're more open to minister to that person. You can share your experiences with that person. It has, your pain and your emotions have stretched you in a way that now you can be that healing hand for someone else who's going through the same thing. It stretches you to love yourself, to love life, and to love others the way God has loved them. From what the latest findings tell us, the brain has incredible plasticity. Do y'all know what that is? That's a Sunday word right there, baby. You know what I'm saying? Y'all can bring y'all's offering to the altar right now for that one. Amen? No, but they, it, scientifically, our brains are designed to shift and grow and heal. Our brains are designed to restructure and reorganize faster than we could ever imagine. You see, our brain not only generates experience... But every experience changes the structure of our brain. Okay? So your day-to-day life experiences wire and rewire your brain. You see, what you go through every single day, what you experience at home, what you experience at work, at the store, at church, wherever you go, every experience that you go through in life is going to shape your mind. It causes your mind to change. It causes the way you think. Let's prove this. You don't think the same way now that you did when you were younger, when you were a kid, when you were a teenager. And listen, 10 years from now, you're not going to think the same way you think today. Because every experience in life changes. Listen, the moment we had a baby girl, my mind changed completely. My mind, it, it's, it thinks different than when we had a boy. It's just, I don't know how it works. I can't explain it. But God just designed our minds to adjust and reconstruct itself based on our everyday experiences in life. You might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with depression? We're going to get there. Because I need you to understand the power of your mind, the power of your brain. And it's a power that God has given you authority over. Now that we've kind of, now that we kind of have a, a, a little better understanding of how our mind and our brain works, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about this. Let's take a look at what God, His Word has to say about this issue. Can we go to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23? If you have your Bibles, you can turn there for me. If not, we'll have it up here on the screen. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23. Do we got it? Yep, okay. 
You can follow along on the screen. You have your iPad. You have your phone, device, whatever. You have the Bible app. You can follow us as well. Or if you're old school and you have the Bible, praise God, you can use your Bible. But this, listen, Proverbs, this was written by the wisest man to ever live, besides Jesus, obviously, right? Because Jesus walked this world. He was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. And God is all-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he's obviously wise. He's the wisest, wisest person or being to ever exist. Besides Jesus, okay, Solomon was considered the wisest man to ever walk this earth. And he, in all his wisdom, wrote these words. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, be careful. I want you to turn around to your neighbors, the person next to you, tell them, be careful. Be careful. Tell them, be careful. Be careful. Look what it says. Be careful how you think. Be careful how you think. Be cautious of how you think. For your life is shaped by your thoughts. For your marriage is shaped by your thoughts. As parents, your parenting will be shaped by the way you think. So be careful how you think. You know what those words imply? Be careful. They imply action. Because being careful can be considered a verb. You have to be careful. Be aware. Pay attention to what's going on. Be cautious. You see, your, your thoughts are not going to protect themselves. You have to guard your own thoughts. You have to be careful. Because if not, your thoughts will be shaped by your emotions, by what people say, by what social media is posting online. Your thoughts, you need to be careful. Be careful how you think. Because your thoughts are going to shape your life. Your thoughts are going to shape your marriage. Your thoughts are going to shape your children. You know why? Because your children are following your example. And the way you think is how you act, and how you act is how they act. Let me use this example today to kind of illustrate a point. When when rain falls on the hills, right, and there's not too many hills here in San Antonio, right, probably more up north or to the west, Uh, but... When rain falls on a hill, the water drains off, right? It it obviously, because of gravity, will fall. It will look for the lowest point, right? And it does it through small streams or grooves in the ground, right? It will find those grooves. Why? Because those grooves and those streams are lower, are the lowest point at at that moment, and it will continue to follow that path. Now, initially, they are just small streams, but each time rain falls, and it continues to rain, and it rains again, and it continues to rain, what happens to those small streams and those grooves in the ground? They become bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the same way with our thought process. When you have negative, toxic thinking patterns... And you continue to think that way, and you continue to dwell on that, and you continue to think the same way, and you do nothing to change the situation or the the way you're thinking, the worse it's going to get. The longer we think along any given line, the stronger that thought pattern becomes. It's very easy for us to dwell on the same thought every single day over and over. 
every time we react in a certain way, we reinforce that thought pattern. Why? Because your thoughts influence your actions. And when you act upon it, you're reinforcing that thought. And this is how habits are formed. Habits is what? A pattern. It's something that you do now, naturally, every single day, every day, every day, every day. Like brushing your teeth. Well, I hope, I hope y'all do. It's a pattern. It's something that you've done continuously for, for already long enough that you just wake up in the morning and without even thinking about it, you just do it. It's natural. And sometimes our toxic, negative thinking patterns become so natural to us that they become second nature. And, and listen, in that hill, those streams, those grooves, you can cover them up. You can go up there with, with machines and a bulldozer and cover them up and pack them down. You can even build up a barrier, a wall in front of the, to cover that area so that the water does not go through that stream again or through those grooves. And guess what? It works. It works for a while, but it's not enough. Somebody say it's not enough. And now, now, while we cannot cover up our thoughts with mental bulldozers, we can build a barrier in our mind when certain thoughts begin. There's, there's certain things that you and I can do to create barriers. So when that thought comes, it doesn't have access to our life. It doesn't have access to our actions. It doesn't have access to our words because they're going to come. It's inevitable. But what you do when they come, it's up to you. But again, building a wall and a barrier in your mind is not enough. Saying no is simply not enough in itself. You see, we also need to provide a new course for our thinking. See, if you, if you want that water that's falling from that hill to go in a specific direction, then you need to create a brand new groove, a brand new path in which that water needs to go. And it's the same way in our mind. It's not enough to just say no. It's not enough to just say, to put up a barrier in your mind against these thoughts. But what are you doing to redirect that path? There's certain things in your life that you and I have to do in order to redirect those thoughts. We find a good illustration in, in, of this in Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. If we can go there to be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says this to the, to the church in Ephesus. He says this. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. That, that right there, Pastor Bob, is a preaching in itself. You know why? Because he's writing to the church. He's writing about stealing to the church, not to the unbeliever. Can a man rob God? Oh, God. We're not going to get into that, but there will be a moment for our tithes and offerings and giving and all that. But Paul is writing to the church, he who has been stealing. This is an ongoing thing. It's been happening in the church. It's been happening. It says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Boom, barrier. If you're stealing, don't do it anymore. That's the barrier. That's saying no, right? He's telling them, say no to it. He says, must steal no longer, but also must work 
doing something useful with his own hands that he may be may have something to share with those in need. So there's something that you need to stop doing, but there's something that you have to begin to do in order to redirect, in order to reconstruct. How does a thief stop? Uh, sorry, how does a thief stop uh, being a thief? Is it just by not stealing anymore? No. Paul is saying this, certainly not, now that's part of it, but saying no to a negative, destructive habit is not enough. You have to, that's simply building the barrier. But in order to create change, the thief is told to get a job. Look at your neighbor and tell him, get a job. In Jesus' name. <laughs> the thief is commanded to get a job and earn money honestly. That, then he is to give to others in need so that perhaps they won't be tempted to steal themselves. Now, somebody say now. Now the process is complete. He tells the thief, stop doing what's wrong. But then you have to start doing what's right. Start doing what's right. Replace the bad with the good. Stop doing the bad. You know what the definition of that is called? Repentance. That's what true repentance is. It's stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Because it's not enough to simply stop doing what's wrong. The negative habit has been dealt with by an act of the will which chooses to stop it. You have to choose. It's an act of your will. But the, but the will must also choose to replace that with the, with the corresponding constructive action in order that the change in thought patterns may be complete. Replace the wrong with the right. I want to share a little bit about, about my experience. I'll kind of get into that a little bit more in detail at the end. But, and I don't know if I shared with Pastor Bob and Karen in detail of, of you know, what, what I experienced in the past uh, two years, two and a half years. But I came to a point in my life where um, I, I, had to get, I had to get help. And I was, I was battling depression, anxiety. I was battling a, a ton of stuff. And um, mind you, still preaching, still leading worship, worship pastors, you know, all of it. And nobody on the outside knew what I was dealing with on the inside. Because come up here, here's what I've learned throughout the years. And I, I might be wrong, but it's okay. We, we all have the, the right to be wrong. <laughs> but here's how, this is what I learned when it came to leading worship. When I'm up here, it's not about me. Obviously, it's about God. We know that. But it's about the people. See, and if God has called me to be up here to minister to the people, I cannot allow what I'm going through to become a hindrance to that. So I would always teach my team this, and I always lived by this. You can walk in through those doors however you want to. If you have burdens, you're bitter, you're upset at your, at your suegra, you're upset at your mother-in-law, whatever, I don't care. That's your business. But right there at the edge of that stage, you, you check that out. You leave it there. 
You leave it there at the stage. You come up here. You do what God has called you to do. And if you want to leave and pick it back up and take it home, by all means do it. That's up to you. But it's not the people's fault that you're going through what you're going through. Now, that's just me as a minister. Okay? Now, I know we're here to help each other and we're here to, you know, bring healing to each other. But in this moment... God has called us and placed us here to minister to other people. So nobody knew what I was going through because I would be up here with a smile on my face, energetic, as passionate as I've always been, sing my heart out, lead people in praise and worship, people getting saved left and right, amen, and go home and still deal with the same thoughts. So I went to counseling uh, for about a month or two. Was it a month or two, babe? Three months, something like that. Something like that. Several weeks. I think it was uh, probably like 12 weeks then. Yeah, three months. I went to counseling. And uh, one of the things that the counselor told me, he said this. He says, whenever you have those thoughts again, you need to find things to replace them. Like when when you think this again, you have to immediately shift your thinking. And remind yourself why you shouldn't take action on that thought. And I begin to do that. I begin to do that. And it became easier to not think those thoughts again. Because it wasn't only about saying no to them. It wasn't only about building up a barrier against those thoughts. But what was I going to do to replace them? What was I doing in order to create a brand new thought process? And that's what Paul is saying here. It's not enough for a thief to just stop stealing. But now he has to do the opposite. Get a job. Work and be generous. The very opposite of what you used to do. And that's how you reconstruct your thought process. We need to realize today, I'm almost done. I'm only going to take about another three hours, guys. Bear with me. We'll get out of here here by by dinner time, I I promise you. (laughs) We need to realize that this takes place by an act of of the will. God has given you free will. And you have to utilize that will to not only say no, but to also redirect, reconstruct, rebuild brand new habits, brand new ways of thinking. You see, people think that depression is not a real thing until you go through it. I've gone through it. I've gone through it, believe me. And I'll tell you with all my heart, with all honesty before God, I was one of those people who thought that depression was just, let's just pray about it. You know, you're, you're uh, I, I, don't, I hate to use the word silly, but, oh, they're just being silly. They want attention, in other words. And my God, until I went through it myself, woo, I had to ask God for forgiveness. I had to ask God for forgiveness for, for um, what do you call that? I guess in a way, putting others down because they were going through it, and I really didn't understand it. So it was like, hey, just pray about it, move on. Let's, you know, we got to be strong in the Lord, and let's just do it. You know what I'm saying? And I had to ask God for forgiveness. And I'll tell you this, Pastor Bob, Karen, maybe God allowed me to go through my season of depression so that I could feel what others feel now. And 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 now, you know, that's that is something that my heart is more tender and open to, you know. And, but, but God has given me a free will and you a free will. 
So this is something. Our, our thought process has to change, but it's not going to happen on its own. You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. You have to uh, exercise your free will and choose to take control of your mind, take control of your thoughts, and change your thought process. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, set your minds, set your minds, focus, set, fix, tune in, set your minds on things above. Set your mind on him. Set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on the word of God. Set your mind on heavenly things. This is a decorative statement that involves an act of the will. You have to set your mind. I cannot do it for you. Pastor Bob cannot do it for you. Pastor Karen cannot think for you. You and I have to set our own minds on things above. In verse 5, Paul moves on to say this. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. You have to put it to death. Whatever negative thought process that you are are thinking in your mind right now, you have the power to put it to death. And in verse 8, he says this, you must rid yourselves. It's not enough to just put it to death, but get rid of it. Get rid of that, those dead thoughts. Get rid of that bitterness. Get rid of that hatred. Get rid of whatever is, is pushing you to this depressive state. Put it to death and get rid of it. In verse 12, he says this now, put on. You have to put to death these thoughts. You have to get rid of them, and now you have to take action and put on brand new thoughts. Put on the thoughts of the things from above. I want to invite Axel to help me. I'm, I'm almost done. Changing thought patterns is not just putting away by building barriers, but also putting on. Somebody say putting on. Say putting on. But it also means to put on by building new patterns. You have to build new patterns. And I'll tell you this, and that's why I mentioned it earlier. I I, I thank God. I thank God for pastors and leaders. I thank God for, for, for the leadership of the church. But I also thank God for counselors. I thank God for counselors. And I'll tell you this, that there's been such a, a, a lie and a myth in the church that you shouldn't go to counselors. That you should just go to your pastor, take it to God, pray about it, and deal with it. Because greater is he who is in you. Than, I, I, I believe those things. I believe that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I believe that if he is for me, there nobody can be against me. I believe those de- declarations. I believe those truths. I believe those principles. But I also believe that God has given wisdom to certain people to walk you through certain things in life. It's not enough to just put away those things and sweep them under the rug. We have to put on new patterns. We have to build new patterns in our lives that are going to take us further away from being in that state of depression. It's not about just suppressing these things. 
but redirecting our thoughts into healthy, positive ways of thinking. What does put to death mean in verse 5? What does it mean? The old thought patterns do not just die naturally. They don't die naturally. You just can't ignore them and think, oh, it's just going to go away. It's not going to go away. Those thought processes are not going to go away by themselves. It would be great if they did. It would be great if they never came back. It would be great if you never struggled with that desire or that temptation. But as Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse 9, but because the heart is more deceitful and desperately sick. Our heart is sick. Our heart is sick. Now let me tell you this, when the Bible, many times when the Bible addresses the heart, it's not talking about the organ in our chest. It's talking about our brain, our mind, our way of thinking. The Bible says that our way of thinking is sick. It's in need of a healer. Our way of thinking. We become depressed. Why? Because our mind is sick. We become anxious. Why? Because our mind is desperately sick. And we need a healer today. And because our sinful nature, and because of the the lust of life against the spirit, these battles, they go on continuously. They go on continuously. Therefore, the statement put to death requires a continual action. You can't just come and do it one time and that's it. We're good for life. I wish it worked like that. But every day is a battle. Every day is a struggle. Every day you will struggle in your mind. But God has given you the power to overcome. God has given you the power to overcome depression. God has given you the power to overcome anxiety. God has given you the power to not only build up barriers against negative thoughts, but to build new patterns in your life. How do I do this, you may ask? First of all, I would encourage you to say, do this. Number one, tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. If you're struggling with depression, tell somebody. I know it's probably the most embarrassing thing that you could probably say to someone because, you know, you're supposed to have it all together. Life is supposed to, you're supposed to be living your your best life. And it's hard to let people know that you are struggling with depression. It's hard to let people know that your mind ain't right. It was hard for me. As a pastor, as a leader in the church, As the worship leader, the face that was up here every single day, it was hard for me. It was probably the most embarrassing thing I had to do. So let somebody know I'm not okay. I wasn't okay. I was depressed, burned out, overworked. And to tell you the truth, suicidal. Even as a pastor, you might think we don't go through these things. You don't know what they go through. Why? Because they have to show up every Sunday, put a smile on their face, embrace you, love on you, 
share the word with you, encourage you. You think they're going to encourage you by telling you what they're going through and what their problems and issues are? So what do they do? They reserve those things to themselves. Sometimes being a pastor is the worst position to be in in life. It's very rewarding, don't get me wrong. But it could also be the most loneliest place to be in life. I was depressed. I was suicidal. But I couldn't take it anymore. I had to tell somebody. I had to tell somebody because deep down inside me, I knew better. I I knew that that wasn't the way out. But I thank God for the weeks that came after this where I went to counseling. I spoke to friends, spoke to my wife, my dad, my brother. And I told him, I didn't sugarcoat, I said, this is what's happening. And they all came together to walk me through this process. When you keep it to yourself, you have no one to be there for you. Because how am I going to guess what you're going through? How am I supposed to know if you don't tell me? I encourage you today, if you're you're struggling with depression, tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. And maybe you've heard that and they do commercials about it on TV. Talk to someone. I'm telling you the truth. I've been there. Tell someone. Even if you don't believe it's depression, because I didn't believe I was depressed. I was in denial. How can I be depressed? I'm a pastor. I'm a leader, worship leader. This is not depression. This is just, again, being silly. Ah, I'll just get over it. I was depressed. My mind was not in the right place. I started replacing those negative thought processes or those negative thought patterns with new ones. We took some time off from everything, from ministry, from leading worship, from pastoring. We took some time off just to spend time with the family. And that was, that was, that was great. You know why? Because that time that I spent with my wife and my son at the time, it just gave me another sense of living it, it, it kind of gave me that reason to live again. Maybe you need some time off. I don't know what, what your process looks like. But talk to someone. Number two, seek help. Whatever that looks like. If you want to talk to your pastors, they're there to help you. They're there to walk with you as best as they can. But if you also need to look for a counselor, somebody. And the, the best thing about counseling for me was this. That person that was talking to me, he was giving me unbiased answers. Unbiased answers. He didn't have their side. He didn't have my side. He was just telling me exactly what I needed to do to get better. Seek help. Talk to somebody. 
I found a counselor that was super affordable, super affordable. There's programs, there's, there's, there's programs, organizations out there that are willing to work with your income. They're willing to help you out. They want to get you help. They want you to be better. You just have to go out and say, you know what? I, I need the help. Go get help. Obviously, God is first and foremost. But like I said earlier, I believe that God gives pastors and counselors and people the wisdom to walk you through these steps in life. Depression's a real thing, people. And I pray, and, and, and obviously we, we know that here, it's, it's not something that you just tend to sweep under the rug. It's not something that we want, that we don't want to create a culture in this church that it's taboo to talk about. Don't say that. Don't talk about it. You know, just keep it to yourself. Deal with it. Give it to God. I understand about giving it to God and praying and all that. All that is good. But giving it to God doesn't mean that you do nothing with it and that you do nothing about it. Tell someone who cares. Tell someone who cares about you. Tell them that you're struggling. It's okay. It doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a woman. It doesn't make you less of a person to tell someone that you're struggling. Talk to a counselor. And number three, the most important part, is renew your mind. Remember we talked about creating new patterns, new processes, new ways of thinking. How do you do that? By allowing God to renew your mind through his word. Look what the Bible says. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'll be done with this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God. Let God. You have to allow God. You, out of your free will, you have to make a choice to allow God. Look what it says. But allow and let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Allow God to renew your mind today. Allow God to meet you right there in your depression. Allow God to meet you right there. Invite him in to your anxiety, to your thinking process. Don't shut him out and try to deal with it on your own. He is there to help you. He is there to pick you up. I've experienced it firsthand. The last year and a half after counseling, after talking to my wife, after talking to my friends, my family, my father, my brother, after talking to the people close to me, the healing process was able to begin and take place in my life. I was able to heal from those things. I was able to heal from the things that happened to me that caused me to fall into this state of depression. God healed me. We took some time off and for two months, Pastor Bob, we did nothing when it came to ministry. We found ourselves a church that was big enough for us to hide. Where nobody knew us. We had never visited before because, mind you, we were always ministering on Sunday. So there was no way we could ever visit another church. I knew about the church. I had friends that went there. But it was such a big church that we could just hide in the crowd and just do nothing. 
And you know what happened for two months? As soon as we walked in through those doors, we, we cried our eyes out from the, from the countdown video <laughs> till the very end of the service. We were crying. Just God was ministering to us. There was a healing process that was taking place inside of us. And there was not a service that we wouldn't go through to that, that we just wouldn't cry our hearts out. Would you allow God to begin that healing process in your life today? Would you give God your anxiety today? Would you give God your depression today? And allow him right now to begin that healing process in your life and in your mind. Why? Because if your mind is not right, it will influence the way you live. But if you allow God to heal your mind today, believe me when I say this, you will begin to live your best life and you will become everything that God has created you to be and created you to do. Question is this, it's not about whether God is willing to do it or not, it's are you willing to allow him to? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can just bow your heads, close your eyes. This is just a, a, a moment between you and God. No one looking around. This is, we, we close our eyes just for, for, for two reasons. Number one, to not be distracted, to not be a distraction or to be distracted by anyone else. And number two, to, to focus. This is a moment between you and God right now. Nothing else matters. And, and quite frankly, no one else around you matters at this moment. Unless you're like my wife who has an infant baby who she needs to take care of. But if, if you don't, listen, nothing and no one else matters right now. What matters is, will you respond to God's word today? Will you give God your depression? Will you give God your anxiety? Will you give God your mental issues today? When you give him your cares, his word says that he will care for you. I want to extend an invitation today for every single person in this room that has never made a decision, a genuine decision to follow Jesus, to ask him to be your Lord and Savior. If you want to do that today, listen, the renewing of your mind begins by taking this first step to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you want to make that decision today, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. All you have to do is repeat after me. Now, there's nothing magical about this prayer. What matters is that you say it from your heart, that you mean it today. If there's anybody in this room that's been struggling with depression or anxiety, or maybe you just feel like you've been disconnected from God for quite some time. The Bible says that we're all like sheep. We lose our way. We go astray. If you want to come back to the good shepherd today, he's here right now. He's here in this place. If you want to come back to the good father, if you want to come back to the good shepherd, you want to rededicate and recommit your life to Jesus. You want to give him your cares. You want to give him your struggles, your depression, your anxiety. If that's you, I would love to invite you to say this prayer with me also today. And maybe you are following Jesus. Maybe you're strong in your faith right now. Would you also say this prayer today to encourage those who are around you, who are going to say this prayer for the first time today. As audibly as you can. Come on, there's no, there's no shame in this room. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to embarrass you. 
as audibly as you can, I want you to repeat these words with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that I'm lost without you. And I need you now. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me with your precious blood. Cleanse my heart and my mind. Today, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Today, I choose to walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.